Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. <clears throat> o Lord, we beseech thee, mercifully hear our prayers, and spare all those who confess their sins unto thee, that they whose consciences by sin are accused, by thy merciful pardon, may be absolved, through Christ our Lord. Amen. You will notice that there is a can of Coca-Cola up here today for our afternoon session, indicating that hopefully we'll all stay awake. Now, if you need some caffeine, uh, please help yourselves, get some coffee, get what we call in North Carolina some Coca-Cola, and uh, hopefully you can stay awake and stay with us for this post-lunch session, the most difficult of the day. I'm sure you're tired already and sleepy, so we'll try to keep you alert and awake as best we can. This is better than one priest I knew when I was a young ordinand who used to put a cup of gin in the pulpit. <laughs> Needless to say, his sermons sometimes were very lively, as you could imagine, they were indeed. No gin until after supper. All right, thank you so much for being here with us again this afternoon. What I propose we do today now is we'll have one more session about the general principles of making a good confession and receiving a good confession, and then we'll pause for another break, and our final session will be question and answer time this afternoon. So I'll look forward to that with you, and we will open at that time the floor for questions and comments. So penance clearly has an important function within the life of the church, especially, as we said, for those who are troubled those who are conscious of particular sins. We remember that this is a ministry especially to be extended to those who are sick and near death. We remind ourselves that all priests are not only morally bound to hear confessions whenever asked, but it is a particular duty of the priest to receive a confession of a dying person. And any person who requests it may receive the sacraments of Eucharist unction and penance in extremis. If someone is dying, it is our role in a very special way to make certain, to ensure that these sacraments are provided to one who is dying. But as Anglicans, we've seen that the sacrament of penance is far more than simply a routine act. For those of us who use it well and use it consistently and use it devotionally, it is a school of sanctity leading us to a deeper life and communion with God. What three actions are really necessary for a penitent rightly to receive this sacrament? <clears throat> First, repentance, as we've been talking about repentance. True repentance from sin begins, as we have said, with contrition, which is a true sorrow of heart for the sins committed for without contrition, there is no desire for real forgiveness. And without this genuine sorrow for sin, there is no will to amend the life. Contrition should arise out of faith, out of supernatural faith, out of the theological virtue of faith. The theological virtue of faith is placing our whole trust in God, trusting in him, trusting that his word is true, trusting that God is faithful and that God keeps his promises to us. A faith that is living 
and places the whole self before God as a little child. As our Lord said to us in the gospel, it is the faith like a little child that brings us into a saving relationship with him. We are to be like little children in the kingdom of God. Or as one priest put it, we are to be childlike, not childish. And that is true. It is a childlike faith, but not childish. This is hatred of sin, contrition. Hatred of sin because of love for God. And as Anglicans, we might even say that the sacrament of penance is a sacrament, as all the sacraments are, a sacrament of love. It is a sacrament of love from God and a sacrament of love for God. If we think of confession this way, it will totally change our perspective. It is a sacrament of love, of love from God to us, a sacrament of love for God from us. A contrite heart sees sin as an outrage against God's love for us, God's love for man and perceives the passion and death of our Lord as both the necessary result and the necessary cure of its sin. We encounter the cross in sacramental confession. We see Calvary more vividly there than perhaps anywhere else. We see the God-man crucified for us. We see the crucifix before us, and we are reminded that Christ's death is the result of our sin, but also its remedy, its cure. Real repentance through contrition brings us reconciliation and forgiveness of sins. And our repentance should flow from our love for God and God's church. Now, even attrition, mentioned earlier, is in fact a grace. Let's not rule it out entirely. Attrition, the fear of hell, or the shame of being caught in sin, is in fact a grace. It is a motion of the Holy Spirit. It is a prompting of the Holy Ghost, leading a person, albeit through fear of punishment, nevertheless, to seek forgiveness through the sacrament of absolution. In other words, God will take what we give him. And if what we give him is attrition, he will take attrition and he will use it to move us to a deeper place. This reminds me of a wonderful story that was once told by Brother John Charles, that great Franciscan bishop who was for many souls a master of the spiritual life, who told this story about a confession. Once there was a man who went to confession. And as he spoke with the priest, he enumerated his sins. He came upon a sin, and he confessed this particular sin, and several others. And at the end of it, the priest said, All right, you've made your confession. Do you wish to be forgiven and to change? And the penitent said, No. And the priest paused for a moment and thought about it, and he said, Well, do you want to want to change? And he said, no. Now at that point, the priest could have just given up and left the confessional, but he kept going. So tell me, do you want to want to want to change? And the penitent said, yes. 
And then the priest said, I absolve you. Now, I don't know if that is a true story, but it's a wonderful story. And that should speak to our hearts, too. Many of us at various stages of our life feel such a burden from our sin, or we feel that our habits of sin have been so relentless that we cannot muster the courage or the will to change. But the grace of absolution will enable us more profoundly to seek that change and to want, to want, to want to change, if that is what is necessary. But God will take what we give him. And so, if it's only attrition, he will certainly take that, and he can change it into contrition of the heart. <clears throat> contrition is the true source of real, life-changing, life-healing repentance. And you'll notice that there's a theme running through these presentations, again, which is healing, healing. This is a sacrament that restores and soothes the soul and brings the soul back to God. God is the source of life, and in the sacrament of penance, we are restored to supernatural life. We are restored to the life of grace. All right, so we say that the first action necessary rightly to receive the sacrament is repentance, which we have explored. The second is, of course, confession itself. If we are truly repentant, and if we are truly contrite for our sins, we will naturally confess our sins out of a desire to be alleviated of them. We want our sins to go away. So we will want naturally to confess them. We will acknowledge them. We acknowledge them before God, and we are truthful with him. This is the part of confession itself. It's being transparent. It is being honest. It is being completely truthful and forthright with God. And we do this in order that we may be forgiven. Real confession, therefore, is a form of self-accusation where we hold ourselves accountable for our own sins. This is the place where we need to get in the spiritual life. If we really want to advance beyond our own selfishness, then we have to learn to take responsibility for our own sins and actions which may violate God's will, we have to be willing to hold ourselves accountable. And this is self-accusation. It is the truthful and honest admission that we have spoken, acted, and thought wrongly, and we freely confess this to God. The fact that we confess our sins demonstrates how really sorry we are and that we truly wish to be forgiven. It has to be, therefore, sincere. God already knows, and God will not be mocked. So the proof of our contrition is our willingness to state what our sins are. And behind that statement, behind that assertion, is the desire to be forgiven and to be granted the grace to change. Now, we talk about sacramental confession in Anglicanism as something that is not mandatory. It's not required of us to go to a priest and make an auricular or private confession. But a biblical church always recognizes 
that confession of sins is essential to the gospel. God requires us to confess our sins to him in whatever form or mode it may be. It may be in our private hearts and souls, in our own self-examination, and it may be corporately in the liturgy, or it may be in the sacramental forum of penance, but a biblical church says we need to confess our sins to God, and God commands us to do so, and indeed he does. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. From the first epistle of St. John. The Lord wants us to confess our sins so that we may freely receive the gift of his grace and mercy. In confession, we are set free from slavery to sin. And it certainly can be a form of slavery. All sin, and certainly all patterns of sin, are a form of spiritual slavery. We take responsibility for our sins. We reopen ourselves to the grace and mercy of God. And therefore, if we practice auricular confession, we should confess all known and remembered serious sins committed since one's last confession. And we should not withhold any known sins from God, for how can they be healed if we do otherwise? St. Jerome writes, If we as sick persons are unwilling to disclose every wound to the doctor, the medicine cannot heal what it doesn't know. Exactly. We were saying earlier that exposure of sin is in fact the process and the act that heals it. So exposing it in the interior life by bringing it to a conscious remembrance and offering it to God, that's critical. And in the form of confession, if we use sacramental confession, then we need to utter what it is we've done. Now people will say, that's terribly embarrassing. It is, it is embarrassing. But a priest is a spiritual doctor and he is there not to cast blame and not to inculcate guilt and he is not there to judge in the negative way. And by the way, every priest who's a regular confessor has heard every sin that could probably ever be committed. An experienced confessor will have encountered the greatest measure of sin in the spiritual life known to man. But the priest is not there to hurt us or condemn us or judge us. The priest is there as an instrument of God's fathomless mercy. That is his purpose. He is not there to cast aspersions on us. He is there to help us as a spiritual physician in the great physician, our Lord Jesus Christ. Regular reception of the sacrament helps us develop a right conscience. Today we hear a lot about conscience, hear it all the time. Conscience doesn't do very much though if it's malformed. Conscience has to be formed aright. So as Christians, we are bound to the formation of a right conscience. We do this through Holy Scripture. We do this through Holy Tradition. We do this through the writings of the saints. We do this through the teaching of the church. We do this by living a Christian life, a life in the faith and in the sacraments. And by forming a right conscience, then, we advance 
And confession takes its place in this as a critical instrument for us so that we can form a right conscience. And having formed a right conscience, we know that the sacrament of penance empowers us to fight temptation and to overcome evil desires. This is very important for us as well. We don't have to have recourse to the inner sanctuary of our own troubled soul in trying to overcome temptation from without and from within. There is, in fact, a lifeline. There is a way forward for us that is objective. How critical it is, how vital it is in the Christian life to have a situation, a forum, a place where objective truth can come to bear on who we are and what we have done. Orthodox Christianity lives in the light of objective truth, who is the person of our Lord. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the truth. The truth as it is in Jesus, writes St. Paul. So confession is about truth-telling, and it's about wiping away self-deception. It's so easy for us to delude ourselves, to mislead ourselves in the privacy of our own hearts and minds, to fail to see ourselves as we truly are. And confession is the forum where we are confronted face to face with our sin, and being confronted face to face with our sin, we are confronted with our Savior, who is there to take away our sin and to set us free. But we all need that objectivity in the Christian life. No one can treat themselves with a medical condition unless that person happens to be a medical doctor. But even then, you know, most people, if one were a doctor, would not want to treat oneself. It's very important to have an, another opinion, sometimes a second opinion or a third opinion. What's the old saying about the law, a, a person who represents himself in court has a fool for an attorney? Uh, there you go. Well, that can apply in the spiritual life too. Uh, we would be very much misled if we try to do this on our own. We need to be helped. We need guidance. All of us do. Everyone does. Every Christian. We need someone to help us stay focused. We have to have somebody to help keep us real. And that is what confession does. Now, the third part of the sacrament of penance, we've said there is repentance, then there is confession, then thirdly, amendment of life. We must forsake our sins and seek to change our lives. This is the ultimate test of genuine repentance. Amendment is the sustained and determined resolve to sin no more, to live lives that are better, lives that are holier. If we have hurt others, we must make restitution for the injuries done. It's not just enough to confess the sin and know that God will forgive. No, there is a moral obligation on us if we are truly to walk in the path of Christ we must make restitution where we can, as we can, if we have hurt other people. 
Real repentance demands that we do better. It's about action, not just words. The Lord is not really interested so much in our words. He's interested in what we do, and he wants us to change. All of this happens by God's grace. Again, all is grace. But we must seek a transformation. In the sacrament, before absolution is given, the priest gives the penitent an act to perform, such as a prayer or reading from Scripture, as a sign of that repentant person's willingness to change. This is called the penance. And doing the penance demonstrates our willingness to amend our lives and manifests our union with the crucified Lord. The Christian life is a cruciform life. It must always return to the cross. There we go to place our burdens down. There we go to be unburdened. But there we go to Calvary so that we may be transfixed and transformed. Amendment of life means that we are turning to God to live a different kind of life. And the grace of the sacrament helps us to contemplate the change which is required for the health of our soul. Not only do we contemplate the brutality or the horror of our sin, but we, we contemplate what would make life better. How can we overcome the problems and the sins? What do we need to do to make this a better life, a life more pleasing to God? Our spiritual father has the wisdom and the insight to give us a penance for our own good. And that is why it is very important to accept it and really do it. It is always one of the greatest privileges and blessings of the sacred priesthood to assist the faithful who is new to the sacrament of penance in the preparation of it for one's first reception of this grace. How can we help people make their first confession? Let's get very pragmatic for a moment, shall we? What should we do? How can we help people to make their confessions? Here are some ideas about what we can tell our people and share with them if they really want to make their first confession. And it's a beautiful privilege and opportunity for us as priests to assist people in this. So first, let's deal with the question of helping someone develop the sense of contrition. We should, in quiet and without distraction, pray over our sins and recall what our, our particular sins might be, using the commandments as the standard against which we must judge ourselves. The real judge in confession should be the self. The priest is there, again, not to judge us in a negative way, but to guide us for the health of our soul, to help us to be to us a father. By the way, along these lines, in no other area of Christian life do we see more clearly and firmly that priesthood is paternity, priesthood is spiritual fatherhood. To be a father in the spiritual realm, priesthood is fatherhood in its essence. And we see that most clearly in the sacrament of penance. So we must judge ourselves Judge yourselves, brethren, lest ye be judged of the Lord. We need to judge ourselves and look at our lives in the light of the Ten Commandments in particular. 
And one can do this in a very practical way. It doesn't have to be tied in with a great deal of emotion. Remember that repentance and amendment of life flow from the will. We speak of the tears of repentance. They are beautiful and God willing should be manifested. But even if we can't bring ourselves to that state, at least not yet, what is most important is the act of our will. We are seeking to align our will with God's will. We should use the commandments. We should allot as much time as we need to do this in the prayer closet of our souls. This is an intimate time with God to examine the life and it may require time. We should advise people not to be rushed when they make their self-examination and to take as much time as it needs. Some people may take weeks or even months in self-examination before making a first sacramental confession. The more time, probably, the better, for more will be remembered. Having formed an understanding of our sins in the light of the Holy Commandments, using such a method, we can then move from the heart uh, and the head to our repentance. Repentance of our sins and asking God for his merciful and loving forgiveness. Here now, once we've, we've examined our sins and we can list them out, in fact, really, penitents do well to write their sins down. Don't keep it on your nightstand, but write the sins down so you don't forget. And then knowing what they are, we should sorrow from our hearts for them and ask for God's mercy, knowing we have offended God's love. This is contrition, and we want to live according to God's will and commandments. So we seek the Lord, for he is our loving and merciful Father, who through Jesus Christ frees us from the power and the destructiveness of our own personal sin. Contrition is the state of soul that we need to bring to confession, and that can only take place after we have made a good self-examination. Uh, the, the less attentive the self-examination is, the weaker the contrition will be. No fasting or other devotional practices are required before coming to a sacramental confession, although certainly a one-hour fast beforehand with special prayers is always beneficial to the soul. Some people may find that it would be more beneficial to have a period of fasting and prayer over time, a day, or more. If one is led to do it, it should certainly be encouraged, but it's not required. We pray the Holy Ghost to illuminate our hearts, our minds, our souls, our consciences, to show us our true selves and the true nature of our sins. We ask the Holy Ghost to penetrate deep inside of the soul to show us even those sins of which we are not aware, the sins we don't remember committing, for they are surely there. There are many sins that we have committed that we don't even remember. And we ask the Holy Ghost to show us these things, these areas in our lives, even though we may not be consciously aware of them, that they too might have restoration and healing. Again, we stress very strongly, and this is the Anglican oomph. Penance is not about judgment. It's not about condemnation, as some mistakenly think. It is about forgiveness, freedom, and new life in the mercy of God.
So having cultivated then contrition, we move then to the confession itself. We move to the actual sacrament. The confession, again we say, is not made to the priest, but to God himself in the presence of the one ordained and commissioned by Christ to forgive sins in his name. The sacramental representative of Christ is the priest. The rite is actually very, very simple. We should have a booklet available to our people that has the entire rite of confession laid out. And if you don't have one of those, we will be happy to give you one. We use a couple of different versions here at St. Barnabas and there are different versions floating around. But it's very good to go ahead and have, have a confession card or have a confession form where the entire rite from beginning to end is printed out and clearly easy to follow. That helps a great deal. The penitent comes to the altar and kneels at the altar rail. At least this is the way it's done in most Anglican churches. The priest is seated within the sanctuary at the rail to greet the penitent. And then the confession is usually heard at the sanctuary before the altar of our Lord which perfectly symbolizes the one to whom the confession is being made and from whom the grace of absolution is received. And you know that seems to really be the most fitting setting. If you look here in our own sanctuary, you will see that if it's done here, the penitent would kneel at the rail, the confessor would be in a chair seated within the sanctuary, and it should be arranged in such a way that what the penitent sees is the crucifix. We do that in the chapel here, which also has a crucifix, and of course, we can do it at the high altar. In the Eastern Orthodox churches, they hear confessions in corners around the church, but it's always within the church building itself. But we Anglicans like to focus on the cross when we do this. The penitent begins the service with the request for a blessing. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned, and the priest blesses the penitent. On an unrelated note, if you've never seen the British television show, Bless Me Father, you really do need to see that. And I, whenever I hear Bless Me Father, even when I'm hearing a confession, I hear Bless Me Father for I've sinned, and I think for a second about that show. It's about priests, it's wonderful. There is an episode where the pastor of the church installs a new microphone system, and the young curate discovers to his horror that the microphone has been wired in the confessional. <laughs> and at the end of one of the episodes, a, a lady is in the confessional about to confess her sins, and the curate has to climb up the wall of the church all the way to the, the top to cut the wire because it's broadcasting the confession throughout the entire church building. It's brilliant. So if you've never seen Bless Me, Father, you need to see that show. It's wonderful. Uh, you can think of that. It's a, it's a, it's a great... Great Catholic humor type of show, it's wonderful. So, so the penitent asks for the blessing, bless me father, and the priest blesses the penitent. The penitent then confesses his sins verbally using a brief prayer found in the rite. He articulates in the hearing of the priest, auricular, in the ear, that's what auricular means, in the ear. He articulates in the hearing of the priest all those particular sins he wishes to confess and then concludes by asking the priest for advice, counsel, and absolution. The priest then offers words of advice and counsel as he thinks necessary, and he asks the penitent to perform the penance. 
which is usually just a prayer or a simple devotional act. Again, that signifies the contrition, the desire for forgiveness, the token of love for God, a gesture, a demonstration of one's willingness to live a better life. After the penitent accepts the penance, the priest then gives absolution. And that's very, very straightforward. After the absolution comes a final prayer and a blessing said by the priest, and then the penitent is free to leave, or sometimes, in Anglican churches certainly, most of the time, the church is empty, and the person is welcome to remain in church and to pray and to offer the penance. So this is a very simple process. If a priest is not familiar with it, uh, it's very easy to learn how to do it. If a priest has never heard a confession, uh, there's always uh, time, ample opportunity, especially with our bishops, uh, to learn how to do that. And in Anglicanism, you never know. There are, are priests who perhaps have never had the opportunity to hear a confession. And if not, certainly uh, we would be available to support the willingness to do that. But it is a gift we wish to extend to our people. Probably, at least for the, the priest, the most powerful prayer of the right of confession is what he says at the very end. He says, go in peace. The Lord hath put away all thy sins, and of thy charity pray for me, a sinner. That puts the entire relationship in its proper perspective. For we are sinners too. Sinners saved by the grace of God, helping others to be saved by that grace. So absolution is this sacramental guarantee that our sins are forgiven as the sacramental grace washes our souls in the precious blood of Christ. Think of confession as a covenantal promise from the Lord Jesus, that all the sins one has ever committed are forgiven once and for all. Think of the, fa the fact that the penitent leaves the confession free from all sin, mortal and venial, empowered with a new, profound spiritual grace a supernatural grace to live such a new life. The grace of absolution exposes and heals the deepest recesses of the soul, pouring the balm of divine love on the wounds of our human nature, a human nature that can only be healed and restored by the human nature of Christ. So not only are our sins forgiven, but there is an increase of grace and sanctity for a more intimate union with God. We have referred to penance as a second baptism, a second plank after shipwreck, because all that was lost in sin is restored. And it is Christ who gives us this sacrament. He won all of this for us on Calvary. Finally, number three, amendment in the life. After receiving this supernal gift of absolution, the penitent should seek to live a life of more intense prayer and love for God. It is necessary that we should resolve never to commit sin again, especially those besetting sins which so easily occur and which we lapse so easily into. What happens if we lapse into those again? We go back to confession. Pope Benedict XVI, I don't usually invoke popes very much, but I will invoke one. Pope Benedict XVI taught something called fundamental option. 
fundamental option in the Christian life is very, very true. Basically, it's this. Either we're moving towards God or we're moving away from Him. Either we're making over life progression and movement towards our Heavenly Father or we are backing farther and farther away from Him. There is a trajectory in the Christian life. Yes, we can commit a mortal sin, we can cut ourselves off from God's grace, but we can be restored by repentance and absolution. And in so doing, nevertheless, even in spite of our sins, we're still moving towards Christ by His grace. We're being drawn more and more towards Him, and we're seeking Him, seeking His face more and more. And then there are people on the other side who, with every sin and every act in opposition to God's will, are stepping farther and farther away and becoming more and more distant and less and less desirous of God. Ultimately, the key in the spiritual life is desire. There is no advancement, there is no progress in the spiritual life without desire. We have to want it. And the desire comes from the Holy Spirit. He empowers our desire, but we cannot make progress without our own cooperation, without our own will. There has to be a thirst. There has to be a desire in the spiritual life. So Benedict was right. There is a fundamental option in this life, towards God or away from God. And the sacrament of penance is like a stepping stone or it's like a ladder that helps us to climb more and more and more towards God so that with every good confession, we are actually getting closer to God. Now, it doesn't feel that way if we have besetting sins and we stumble and we fall, but in this grace of Christ, we are picked up and we are restored and we are put back on the path. And that is why we need to keep using it and not be discouraged. We should never allow either our penitence or ourselves to feel discouragement. We keep coming because there is an endless, a vastless source of grace for us. It is inexhaustible. And the more we use it, the more we move on the trajectory that moves to God himself. So let us think about fundamental option then when we talk about amendment in the life. We should develop a consistent and regular rule of life, and that is true for the laity as well as the clergy. More important for the laity in some sense, because you know what? They're the people of God, and we serve them, and they edify us by their prayers, and they are the extension of Christ's kingdom in the world. We are here to serve the laos theu, the people of God. Everyone needs a rule of life. Clergy, definitely, and we should all know that. But the laity as well is absolutely vital to us if we are to overcome sin. That's the via negativa, overcoming sin, but the via positiva is the intensification of our union with God. We need a regular rule of life, daily prayer and discipline, and we should also have free, frequent recourse to sacramental confession and to spiritual direction. If you want to learn about spiritual direction, the person to talk to is Father Mark Manise. He knows about spiritual direction and he can tell you the, the kinds of things you're looking for and what you should consider in the life of spiritual direction. So I commend his expertise to you. He knows what he's talking about for sure. 
So if you're interested in that subject, please do speak with him about spiritual direction. Priests and deacons in particular do need a spiritual director. Very important for us because we have the burden and the responsibility of souls. And so if we have that responsibility, if we have that care of souls, then we need to be taking care of our own soul too. It's very hard to serve others if we are not in good shape ourselves. So we need spiritual direction. As the old adage goes, we can only give what we have. We can only transmit what we possess. And if we don't have it, we cannot give it away. So we do need spiritual direction, and we need a rule of life, and we need regular recourse, yes, to sacramental confession. Or at least uh, that's what I would say. <laughs> and that's why we're talking about this today. There should be a zeal about the Christian life. If we want to grow, amendment of life is a frequent use eagerly of all the sacraments available to us, particularly the Holy Eucharist, which we should attend to with greater devotion, preparation, and yes, zeal. Let us not lose our zeal as priests and deacons. Zeal is part of desire. There should again be this hunger for the spiritual life. If we grow cold in our spiritual life, something is wrong. We should want to be there. We should want to be there. We should want to be at the altar. There should be a desire for it. If, if that grows cold, then, then we, we do need spiritual direction to sort out why that may be the case. We need to have that zeal. Absolution is a healing medicine. It cures the disease of sin, and spiritual direction along with it is the preventative medicine that keeps our souls healthy and in a state of grace. The aforementioned are considerations of the personal and particular nature of sin and its impact on us and the need for our forgiveness. But additionally, let us remember that, as we have said before, we are also members incorporate. We are incorporated into the church. The corporate and ecclesial na nature of sin and its impact on ourselves and upon the whole body of Christ, the church, equally important. The sacrament of penance then restores us to fellowship with God after serious sin, but we also remember it restores us to full communion with the mystical body of Christ. Sin not only has personal consequences, it also has a communal, a relational significance as well. And when we separate ourselves from God through sin, we concomitantly sever our communion with the church. So we need to keep that in mind too. We do commit sins not only against ourselves and other people, but against the church as well. At the heart of all this is the mystery, the mystery of divine grace and the necessity of this grace for our salvation. We are the instruments of the fellowship of the church, a restoration of fellowship to the church because of sin. The priest, as we said, is in persona Christi, but he's not only in persona Christi, he's also in persona Ecclesiae. He is also the man of the church. He's Christ's man, yes, 
but he's also the man of the church. The priest also represents the church as the church's ordained and official representative. His sacramental acts are not done in his own name and person, but in the name of the Catholic Church with the church's authority and commission. So when we're hearing confessions, the church is working in and through us. That's true of all the sacraments, but there's a, an immediacy about it in the sacrament of absolution, where it's, it's, it's patently clear that the priest is representing the church and is acting on behalf of the church towards the individual. And as priests, we need to be conscious of that too. The sacrament of confession is the reconciliation with the visible sacramental communion of the body of the church. And that reminds us about what the church is and our place is in it. All the sacraments need a good ecclesiology behind them. And it's a good understanding of what the church is. The church is nothing less than the prolongation and the extension in time and space of our Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Mother Church draws us back to her bosom and restores us to all of her graces and sacraments through this mystery, through the sacrament of confession. One should always endeavor when one prepares to make a sacramental confession to recall carefully before coming to the sacrament that we must examine the conscience and be careful not to exclude any grave or serious sin. Then we come to confession and we freely offer all those sins that we remember. If we approach the sacrament with the intention of not confessing our sins, of which we are certainly aware, then we thwart the very purpose for which we are coming. And not only do we magnify the guilt of sin by that, but we uh, really uh, cast aspersion on our Lord. There is, in fact, a refusal to place our sins at the foot of the cross and receive the Lord's abundant mercy and love. So this is why, again, we emphasize good self-examination. We don't want to magnify our guilt or refuse the forgiveness of the Lord. So in previous confessions, when we make a good examination and duly confessed our sins, we are aware of what we've confessed, and we should be confident that those sins are absolutely forgiven and do not need to be confessed again. Now, if we have time, I will talk about scrupulosity. If, if you're interested in hearing about that, it's, 